0: Hey there, this is John Oates, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey everybody, this is Johnny Gioeli from Hardline, Axel Rudy Pell, Crush 40, and now my debut solo album, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 396 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 396, we have three special guests joining us. We have Miles Kennedy. Miles, obviously the vocalist for Slash's band, the vocalist for Alter Bridge, and a solo artist. So we're going to get to him in just a few moments. Also joining us, Robert Berry who is a member of the band 3, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And also Johnny Gioelli, who is a vocalist of Hardline, also uh, sings for Axel Rudy Pell and is getting set to release his debut solo album. So we will also talk to Johnny a little bit. So uh, Miles Kennedy, obviously had kind of rose to fame rather quickly, uh, the vocalist of Alter Bridge, uh, kind of uh, hand-picked from a group of guys to uh, front a uh, band consisting of many Creed members. Uh, but Miles, no slouch, also has sang on several albums now with Slash and the Conspirators, uh, and has also got his own solo album out, uh, the Year of the Tiger, which is a really really interesting a uh, concept record that we'll we'll talk to him in a moment about uh, that I think people are really going to enjoy. Now uh, he will be doing a show in Pittsburgh at Warndale on the 27th of November. Tickets available at. Uh, bandsintown.com if you look up Miles Kennedy you can find tickets or if you go to Jurgles Rhythm Grill uh, his website you can get tickets for that as well so we're going to play you just a little bit of, of one of the tracks off of Year of the Tiger then we're going to talk to Miles Kennedy
2: A dream. All we've seen or thought to be is gone. All we've seen or thought to be was just a dream.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome down to City Rocks. We have on the line Miles Kennedy. How are you doing, Miles?
3: Good. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well. Uh, you're going to be rolling into Pittsburgh uh, to do kind of a, a special solo show on the 27th and doing a, a rather short run of shows here leading up to Thanksgiving and through Thanksgiving. I um, wanted to talk to you specifically about your album, Year of the Tiger, it came out earlier this year, um, really Bore your heart and soul in this record. Can you talk a little bit about making such a, I would say, intimate record?
4: Yeah, you know, I'd say it's a record that um, it was, it was kind of a, from a from a lyrical standpoint, theme standpoint, something that I'd wanted to address for a long time that could never, for whatever reason, quite get there and follow through. And I think it was just mm-hmm. because of the magnitude of what it was about, which was. You know, I lost my father at a young sure. age, and and I always kind of wanted to address that and tell the story of, of how incredible my, my my mother was, and sure. kind of picking up the pieces and making sure that my little brother and I were okay. And so, yeah, this this record is a, it's a, essentially a concept record. I mean, it tells the story um, of you know not just of when we lost Dad, but also just tried to get in my mother's head and understand what what her thinking was and mm-hmm. how she was able to. You know, pull things together and and ultimately, you know, save the day. So sure. so uh, it's not just a, you know, it's a real testament to my mother's strength as well as uh, dealing with with with, one, with with my father in that situation.
1: Right. Was it difficult? I mean, singers sing about emotional things all the time, but this really kind of you, you can't get closer to home than this. Um, was that? something that you you kind of had to reach a point in your career to feel that you could bear your soul like that or was it just the material wasn't what you wanted to tell the story up to this point
4: yeah it was really a matter of of finding you know the right sonic canvas to paint something like this over Mm -hmm. Um, and when I what's interesting is that though I wanted to write about this theme for for some time Mm -hmm. Uh, it just never, and anytime I would try to step into that realm, it just wasn't happening for whatever reason. Right. And so, as I, as I started to accumulate a number of musical ideas for what would become this record, um, I, it started to feel like, you know, the time could be right to, to, to dive into something like this. And there was mm. an idea that I had sitting around for, for a long time. Um, which was the year of the tiger single? What was the first song? Or that right. the, the first song that we released off this record? And I remember thinking, I, I stumbled onto it one day while I was working on out in my lawn years ago, and I was like, I really like that, but I don't know what. What is the year of the tiger? You know. So I did some research and found out, you know, it was in the Chinese zodiac. That was the just happened to be the year, the same year that my father passed away. And I, and I thought, hmm. Well, if that's not the the universe telling me maybe it's time to start, you know,
1: listen through this. With yeah.
4: with yeah, I don't know what is, and so then the floodgates just kind of opened. And
1: can you talk a little bit? Of, I mean, I, I think you know lyrically one thing, but this is, is a very different musical record from you know what the people from you know you work with Alter Bridge, you work with Slash. Um, this is a very different musical canvas you painted with. Was this? Um, was this kind of uh, fun for you to go in some of these different musical directions on this.
4: Yeah, it was it was really liberating for me having the opportunity to make a record like this. Um, because I love playing hard rock. I love cranking up a guitar amp and mm-hmm. playing a riff. You know, um, but I also spend a lot of time, maybe more time than anything, with acoustic guitars and, mm-hmm. and experimenting with altered tunings and uh, just kind of, it's just been a part of my, my musical process for, for a long a long while, since sure. the, really since the 90s. Um, so it, to have the, the opportunity to do something like this was a real luxury for me, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah.
1: Was it um, particularly challenging, like, um, you know, going in, you, you've done, you know, the kind of bombastic hard rock, you know, screaming solos and great riffs and things like that, you know, quite a few times, and you've played you know you were a very accomplished guitar player you've played with two of the, you know the most iconic guitarists in the last 20 30 years um, but to go in this um, direction you know production wise and the layering um, was this pretty comfortable for you or was this a you know a giant learning process
4: it was it' was actually really comfortable it was it, that was what was that was something I learned about this was that um, or I learned about about, about my Myself is mm-hmm. in this in kind of an acoustic environment. Um, maybe it was just because I did it so much back in the day. It mm-hmm. was. It felt very natural, and and it was very. I remember being in the studio and playing, you know, some of these parts and laying down some of these tracks, and I just it was so much fun. You know, it was just such a. Mm-hmm. It was just such a, a great experience for me. I, I feel like it really ultimately it was just good for my soul Yeah, and um, yeah it was it, you know it's interesting because I remember as we were tracking the record with Elvis um, the guy who produced the record he's done mm-hmm. a number of records with me with not just Slash and you know, Alter Bridge but was also you know he engineered the second Mayfield Floor I and mean, there's over 18 years of history uh, with Elvis and, and I Right. Um, but I, I remember him commenting, he's like, you know, this has been just such a fun record, even though the the gravity of the lyric is so heavy. Yeah. the, all the cast the character the cast of characters that we'd assembled between Elvis, Zia, Tim and myself, you know, when we were actually on their tracking, it was just it was just a just a good group of people. It was a good hang and Jeff our, our engineer and and uh so it that that I think that served the songs well because given how heavy the the lyrics were if it had just been a total downer and everybody was all kind of just trying to stay in that vibe Mm -hmm. dark vibe i i I don't think the record would have turned out the way it did
1: yeah and that's a great point because you listen to it and and, you know lyrically you're right i mean there's a lot of introspective and and, you know a lot of things going on but some of the music is you know got you know such a happy vibe to it 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 is really it, it was you know, a very interesting listen when you do that. Do you um, find yourself going back now that it's done and, and listening to the record much? I mean, based on you know the lyrical content, or, or are you a kind of the person who even goes back and listens to your albums? Is that something that you can do?
4: Yeah, I. I occasionally um, Right after a record is made I might do that I'll listen mm. to it But then I kind of you know, A lot of times When you're approving mixes and you're, yeah. That's kind of when You listen to it And you're like Okay is the, Are the levels alright And and was this track The way I wanted it to And you kind of You kind of Oversatiate yourself In that respect So right. then you t- at least speaking for myself, I don't tend to listen to it. One mm. day. After that part is done, I just kind of move on and want to move on to the next project.
1: Yeah, until you know, 20 years from now, when you're doing the full album in a show, you got to go back and remember what the heck, you know, yeah. how to play song three because you haven't played it since exactly. then. Um, you've got obviously a, a million irons in the fire. Um, your name, I think, has been linked to every hard rock band, shy of replacing John Lennon in the last. 30 years um, <laughs> I was thinking about that you know I'm like I remember hearing he was going to join aerosmith led Zeppelin but not the Beatles that's the one that we ruled out um, miles uh, you just released another fantastic record with slash um, how did fitting all this in was this you know work you did you know kind of during breaks from altar bridge breaks with slash obviously with guns and roses over the last few years um, was it hard to kind of get the timing of all this together?
4: Yeah, that's that's the tricky, I, you know, that's what's interesting about all this um, is that there's a finite amount of time, and mm-hmm. when you're when you've been as lucky as I've been over the last few years and have these these various entities that are touring and making records, mm-hmm. you just have to keep in mind that um, you have to be very you have to stay committed, and you and you have to maintain your work ethic and not sit back and coast and go okay, well you know we can go out and tour with this and do all right and people are showing up to the shows and so i'm going to stop writing <laughs> you know? yeah you always have to, to stay hungry and under- and you have to remember at the end of the day it's this is this is not just the music business it's the songwriting business it's about yeah. your songs and if you don't have you know if you don't continue to pump out songs that people want to listen to you know the trajectory is going to change so that, i think that keeps it certainly keeps me hungry. I know it keeps Tremonti hungry, and I'm sure it keeps Slash hungry as well. You know, you got yeah. to keep creating, keep working.
1: Now, beyond this string of dates you're doing, um, which I believe is kind of a limited run, you know, through a couple of select cities, we were thankful enough to be one of those. What's what's on the docket next? Obviously, you're kind of leading into Christmas. Do you take some time off, and then big plans for 2019, or is it still kind of up in the air? Yeah, yeah,
4: it's 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 actually. After this tour, um, you know that would probably be the last two weeks off that I'll have in the, in, in the immediate future. I mean, next year, starting at the beginning of the year, I'll, I head out with with Slash and the Conspirators, and we're doing mm. Australia and 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 Asia, and then straight to Europe, and then I go right into recording the next Alter Bridge record, and then I'm, I'll be back out with Slash and the guy. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be pretty wacky uh, in a good way. Um, yeah it's going to be, it's going to be a dense maybe maybe the densest year between making records and touring that I've, that I've attempted so <laughs> if you talk to me again you know at the end of the year we'll see if I'm still firing on all cylinders
1: yeah now do you collaborate with the mark or or slash um Like before you go in and you start working on the Alderberjom, do you guys kind of pass things back and forth? I know a lot of bands anymore, you know, Skype and Dropbox and things like that become sort of a a giant tool in songwriting. Do you guys communicate that way or is it just something on your calendar we say, I'm going to go and we're going to meet up in Orlando or wherever and we're going to just write?
4: Yeah, we we definitely utilize uh, technology in that Mm -hmm. sense, and especially given that we. We kind of, between all, everybody involved. you know, if you think about it, I live up in Washington State, which is, the, mm. you know, the the, the northern corner, uh, west coast corner of, of the U- U.S., and they got Slash, who lives down in L.A., and you got, mm. you know, the Alter Bridge guys who live at clear over in Orlando, Florida. So right. with that said, you know, we're pretty spread out. And uh, so, like, for example, Mark and I have been exchanging, and he sent me a few ideas uh, before I, I don't know before I took off on this last slash mm-hmm. tour, and, and I've got a bunch of things set aside, and we've just been trying to set up a time to Skype and yeah. or whatever FaceTime whatever we're doing now, and uh, and and do it that way before we actually get uh, do face to face in the future. Right.
1: Well, excellent. Well, we look forward to seeing you here in uh, Pittsburgh in just a couple weeks on the twenty seventh. Obviously, you know we'd love to catch you with Slash and the the return of a new Ultra Bridge album. I think is is uh, long awaited. It's going to be great to hear some new material from you guys. So, Miles, I want to thank you so much, man.
0: Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it.
5: Celebrating five decades of the Prince of Darkness, Ozzy Osbourne tours Two with special guest Megadeth Keybank Pavilion, June 13th Get tickets now at LiveNation.com Ozzy Osbourne Witness a living
1: legend live. There's more at Ozzy.com Alright again, a big thank you to Miles Kennedy Year of the Tiger is available now He will be at Jurgles on the 27th of November to do a show here in Pittsburgh can check out mileskennedy.com for all his tour dates he's got stuff as he mentioned in the interview all the way up into next year and through next year it seems like so plenty of opportunity to get new material from miles we're going to turn our attention now to johnny Gioelli, who's been a guest on the podcast a few times he's a vocalist for axel rudy pell who um sidebar fantastic fantastic band uh encourage you wholeheartedly to check out axel rudy pell website um Is a singer of Crush 40, also the singer of the band Hardline, uh, and has been talking to us really uh, for a while now about a new solo album, his debut solo album, and uh, for a really, really good cause, a young man who uh, is dealing with paralysis. uh, Johnny basically championed this idea that he was going to put this album and the proceeds were going to this young man. So we're going to get into that interview. We're going to play you a little bit of the album. It comes out on December 7th. It's called One Voice. Uh, it's really, really powerful stuff. Uh, a lot of good time rock on it. I mean, it's kind of a heavy cause, uh, but the music is is, is very fun, uh, very listenable, as I mentioned in the interview, and, and wasn't just blowing smoke. Uh, the kind of stuff you can kind of crank up in the car uh, you know, when you're driving. So we're going to play you a little bit of the album One Voice here, and then we're going to get into that interview with Johnny Gioelli. G-O-L-E. How you doing, Johnny?
0: Hey, I'm great. I'm great, man. How are you today?
1: Wonderful. You um, are getting ready to uh, let your, your finally, your solo, your proper solo album, One Voice, uh, come out on Frontiers in December on the 7th. Um, I know you've been working on this for a while. I think several times when we've spoken in the past, you've mentioned working on it. Um, how does it feel to finally see, you know, package with, you know, cover art and everything at this point?
0: oh, uh, man, uh, amazing, amazing feeling. You know, there was a reason um, that I took the time. You know, I, I, I took two years to put this thing together. And, and th- the reason is I wanted to allow uh, two things, major things to happen. One, I wanted to write everything on the album. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want to uh, use any outside writers. I wanted I wanted the message to be right. I wanted the songs to be right. I wanted to feel great about the album. I wanted to love my own album Mm -hmm. for the world, you know, gets it. That was number one. Number two was for the charity, for the spinal cord injury for Joe Barber, uh, the young man that inspired the entire record, Mm -hmm. I wanted to allow enough time to be just that, to be charitable, to allow donations to come in to help him Mm -hmm. and to, uh, you know, go on that sort of what I call a spinal cord injury journey. I mean, I've learned way more than I thought I ever would about um, the the unfortunate uh, situation with paralysis and um, those that go go through it and live through it and have to either rehabilitate or be just that way. So it took two years, but the outcome, bro, is just... Man, I haven't felt this invigorated, this energized, this happy... Um, I love all the projects I do, and as you know, and, and, and the fans that know, the listeners that know, I've I've done a lot of albums, man. For sure. The last 21 years, I've done now, Lord, over 50 albums with different projects. But this album is so special and makes me feel so great. I, it's cool when you when you turn on your own album and you you crank it up and you go, shit, that's a cool song, man. I, yeah. I love that song, so. Great, what a great journey it's been, man.
1: Yeah, it's got to be kind of a, a need. You know, you've done, you know, obviously Hardline, Axel Rudy Pell, um, your, your album with, with Dean Castronova, uh, but to actually have, you know, the first release with just your name, you know, your songs, your name, that's got to be kind of a, um, you kind of bearing your soul to the world. Um, uh, I uh, the songs, you know, very up tempo rock songs, um, kind of the album I, I picture listening to in the car with the windows down kind of stuff i mean was mindset wise when you're writing these songs did you have kind of a theme in mind or, or were these songs you wrote, wrote over time
0: no you know i, I wrote uh, i wrote this album as things happened to me within that time period mm-hmm. so of course uh, with the with the accident that happened in my hometown that obviously kicked off the whole effort to bring fans together through unity and through love, through through charity, um, to raise money for this for this young man. So that was, you know, that was where one voice and the song, one voice we are, one voice together. That's where that all, all happened. The rest of the album is just a um, just a, a, a mass of daily <laughs> events, some uh, bizarre and others not so. Bizarre, but the you know the purpose was to create an album uh, which was it's sort of um, I don't mean this to sound weird, sort of a, an image of myself. I'm a real positive guy. Mm-hmm. I love people. Anyone who knows me, I'm 99.999% always happy. I think I'm in a bad mood twice uh, a year. My family can probably point out those two days. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to to portray not portray. I wanted to give the ultimate in positive message so all these songs are all about you know it's all feel good simple message mm-hmm. with that sort of Brian Adams meets Foo Fighters feel and um, yeah things crazy things happen man like i i remember last year uh, close to this time you know more uh, you know towards christmas trying to buy gift cards at a Dunkin Donuts this plug for Dunkin Donuts and it took over an hour because the kid kept charging me wrong, and then crediting, charging, credit back, back, and it took me over an hour. And and you know the song "Out of Here" uh, from the album was the result of that. I literally went home and and wrote that song about a Dunkin' Donuts experience. I mean, <laughs> anything can happen, man. That's and that's what's so cool about uh, being an artist, and you know, sort of a. Uh, you know, a painter of your your own portrait? You know, um, yeah. That's the way this this record unfolded.
1: So Johnny Giannelli runs on Duncan. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Man, that's you, you find inspiration in that because it's one of the things you think about. It, you know, in in doing some reading, I was reading uh, Phil Collin of Def Leppard's book, talking about how you know as musicians get older and they get established, sometimes it's hard with the distractions of life to have that kind of focus you had when you're in your early 20s and you're trying to make it as a, as a musician. Um, but it, it's neat to see where you do draw inspiration. But, you know, as someone who listened to the album, I didn't get, you know, I that was not in my wheelhouse when I was listening to it. I wasn't thinking, oh, this is about a guy who got pissed off with, you know, a cash register or whatever. Um, so that's really <laughs> right. cool. Um, your keyboardist, yeah. Alessandro, um, produced the yeah. album. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the group of musicians involved with this and how you know, you were involved in you know the, the, the different parts they played, or, or not involved? How, how you let the musicians sure. do what they do?
0: Sure, absolutely. So you know, I, I'll have to. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back a few years now. Um, met a an amazing talent uh, who is the guitar player for the mm-hmm. for the solo project, Eric Gadrix And Eric uh, was in a band in the '90s called uh, Raquel. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the listeners may know him. And he sent me a little piece of music. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of people send me stuff and ideas. Like, hey, man, your voice would sound really cool on this song that I wrote. And, blah, 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 and you listen to it and you go, wow, oh, it's really nice. What else do you have? And they're like, uh, nothing, that's it. <laughs>
3: <Yeah. You know?
0: laughs> In this case, I said, whoa, bro, I I love this piece of music. Hang on, I'm, let me get back to you. And I ran to my studio and... And it was the song "Deeper," and um, and I put it t- together and I sent it to him. He was like, "Holy shit, man! That that's incredible song." I said, "What else you have, man?" I, and he sent me another five pieces of music, another ten pieces of music, another fifteen pieces of music. Long story short, Eric uh, Gaydrix and I we connected like a uh, Tyler uh, Perry uh, team. He's is so freaking phenomenal, such such an amazing talent. I just, you know, I, I'm more excited for the world to hear this guy than even to hear you know, what I do vocally. I, I I'm really, he's so freaking amazing, and I'm so you know happy to, to have uh, met him uh, online and, and and put that. You know this whole thing together with him. So um, Eric was responsible for for driving a lot of the you know the music right. uh, to me, and then I went crazy with the other stuff. Alessandro, man, he's my trusted little Italian brother. and um, I have great uh, respect uh, musically for him and great trust as a producer, engineer. I mean, he does everything. He engineered the record in a very nice modern uh, today feel. Um, he helped me put the uh, the great musicians together uh, Nick Mazzucone uh, he's the he's Europe's number one bass player he is the guy he is so amazing that literally I have to like put a band-aid on my chin because <laughs> my mouth's always open when he's playing and I'm dragging it on the ground um, Marco de Salvia who is now the new hardline drummer Marco de Salvia is uh, again, top, top guy in Europe. Amazing drummer, freaking amazing. Everyone should uh, you know go online and look look him up, Marco de Salvia. Um, and it helps he's also a chef. He
1: hey, you- teaches.
0: Yeah, so we never go hungry. Um uh <laughs> with, with, That's with brilliant. Marco. yeah.
1: Forget if yeah, he can play, so is if he can cook.
0: Yeah. yeah, man, we play, and we eat. I mean, well, I mean, what what a combo! So the band itself is phenomenal, and of course, Alessandro uh, handles uh, the keys. There's not a lot of key work on it because mm-hmm. I didn't want it to be, you know, like that. It just the, the songs didn't call for,
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know, that kind of uh, thing. So uh, Ale on keys, uh, Marco on drums, uh, Eric on uh, on guitar. Um, yeah, who'd I miss myself on vocals? Yeah, and Nick and Nick uh, Mazzucone on on bass. It's a powerful band, and we're working right now. I've got these guys on hold, man, because we're working right now with uh, and and I'm and I'm on my knees every day, hoping, hoping and praying it's going to happen. But we're working very closely with Good Morning America to tell this story. So we'll either be on uh, GMA in the morning with Michael Strahan, or we'll be on Strahan Show or the Weekend Show. We're getting real close. We're real excited. Um, about it, and it'll be one, probably the most amazing way to 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 open uh, a brand new record for me in my career.
1: Yeah, uh, being that, on that
0: show. So we're working hard on it. I hope it
1: happens. Yeah, that's 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 saying something in the in the world of rock music. The only rock musician I can think of, Steve Perry, obviously, you know, did press everywhere, in, including right. Good Morning America. But that was, you know. That's a pretty big story when Steve Perry kind of comes out of his hiding for, you know, a new album. Absolutely. But that's that's a big-time stage.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, John, John, with uh, with one voice, I mean, this is, um, there's so much meaning and purpose behind this. I mean, rock and roll rehabilitation. When you take, uh, I should say when you take, when fans around the world, and I mean every part of the world. I mean, people from Baghdad. You know, here in America, we think Baghdad, oh my God, Afghanistan is now, we should drop a bomb, we should do this, we should do that, right? Mm -hmm. There's incredible humans that live there, wonderful people and loving people. And these people donated to a kid they don't even know through their love of music. I mean, that says so much. I mean, that's a story right there. So it's no wonder it's getting a lot of, uh, you know, national attention. It's been... Already that it's the feel good um, record of the of the 21st century. That's really amazing to me, and Mm so I'm I'm just happy, man. It's like I already sold 10 million copies. I don't care if I sell one. I've already I feel like I sold 10 million already.
1: Yeah. If you're accomplishing, um, you know, helping Joe, and you know, you know, your love of music is obviously infectious. So it's it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, Do you have? Plans on doing any sort of live performances with this, you know, or is this was more of a studio effort?
0: Well, my desire is to take it live, absolutely. Um, but, you know, then the business of the music business tends to get involved uh, in or in the
1: way. Difficult
0: yeah. To, yeah, yeah, it's a little difficult because everyone right away is like, we want a hardline show. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I get that. You know, I get that. I'm, I'm in hardline. I get that. Yeah. Um, but the short answer is yes. This this band is is tremendous. The songs are so much fun to play. We want to um, and we will definitely focus on that for uh, for 2019. Starting mm-hmm. uh, starting it's uh, summertime 2019. So um, I also want to do a U.S. tour. I haven't toured the U.S. Uh, in in 21 years. Is I need it? to tour my own country, so
1: that yeah. has to happen. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's that's one of the things I, I was trying to think back to when the last time you know you might have even been in our fair city and I, I couldn't honestly remember. You know, I was that's going back away since you know we've been monitoring live shows. i like, I don't think I can think of a time when you were here, but um, yeah, yeah that I, I would don't be, think
0: so either, man. It's unfortunate, so right. I got
1: to fix that. Yeah, we don't you know and you've certainly got a a great vehicle with this album you know and i'm sure in your repertoire to fill out a show you've got plenty of songs to sing um you know from other acts yeah (laughs) and it isn't like uh you know your voice so powerful over these years do you still uh, i mean as a singer uh, you know when i think of truly some of the great singers in in rock um, mm-hmm. your name is on the, a very short list, in my opinion. Is it something you continue so. to work at, or or how do you maintain it? Even you know, it's not something that you know. As people get older, usually their voice kind of goes one or two directions. How do you keep it from going, you know, south?
0: Yeah. Well, oh, first, thanks for the compliment. Sure. Compliment. I appreciate that. Um. Yeah. Well. So I'm sort of. Um Maybe this is why I was was never a massive star Hmm. Um, because I'm sort of an oxymoron rock guy. So I really i am into taking care of myself. Hmm. I want to (laughs) try. I'm into the quality of life. You know what I mean? I don't want to, you know, and I didn't beat myself up back in the 80s and 90s doing a lot of bad stuff. Um, I think that had the most tremendous impact on why my voice is still strong today Um, and that, that's number one. I I live a really healthy lifestyle, man. Like, I'm into it. Um, and number two, I work at it. I still get very anxious, very nervous, very worried before every show, before every performance, before every recording. And I think the day that that stops happening, I'm done. I quit. I'm, it's over. I retire. And it's that worry to perform and to be uh, everything that I should be for the fans um, that that keeps me in check uh, vocally. I every day I'm driving my family insane. I mean I'm singing all day. I'm testing the voice, make sure it's all there, make sure there's no issues. I walk through the grocery store, I'm singing. My daughter's like, okay, dad, dad, stop. stop Let's get the bagels. Get the bagels. Let's get the hell out of here. Um, so I think it's you know I think it's you know good lifestyle you know being healthy and and wanting to always be the best I can uh, and you know and continually working at it you know I, I've got a lot of obviously friends in the business that get on stage and they just they do what they can do and 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 that's it yeah. um, and they're done they move on to to, to the next show and okay nothing, nothing wrong with that. But for me, I really am paranoid about trying to be the best I can. So I work really hard at it, man. I really try my best at every show um, and, uh, and and at every session to to give my best, you know, performance. And I, I think, you know, the culmination of all that makes it uh, makes it stay intact. Makes yeah. it work. People say, Johnny, you still sound like 1992. I go. Are you sure? And they go, yeah. Huh. You still sound like '92 Double Eclipse. I'm like, right on. That's good. When I don't, please tell me because then I'm gonna stop. Yeah. Seriously, I'm done. When I can't do it, it's done.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would dare say in, in some of your performances more recently, might have even exceeded 1992. No offense to 1992, but you know, when I listen to you, you know, your version of Hey Hey My My, um, you know, that you did on um, Axel's album or. The, the duet you did with Bonnie Tyler, you know that's that's some amazing Thank you, man. stuff. Was that intimidating, or, or let me ask you maybe a more general question? You obviously, you worked with Bonnie Tyler, you've worked with Neil Sean, right? Has there been yes. a situation that you would say is kind of the the most nervous or most nerve wracking situation you've been in as a singer? You know, as far as just I don't want to screw this up.
0: <laughs> you know, it, again, you know, you do get a little paranoid, you know, because these are great talents. Uh, but for me, it drives me. It doesn't scare me. It drives me to be better. I mean, I just literally uh, came back from Europe. Unfortunately, we had to cancel a tour over some illness. But I was just on tour with with uh, with Jeff Tate. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, Jeff's an amazing singer. Mm-hmm. Um, Robin Beck. Uh, Bobby Kimball, uh, Dave Bickle. i mean, these are all great singers—and I had to perform with these guys every single night. And man, you know, mentally, you just got to say, "Okay, Johnny, it's kick-ass time, brother. Get out there and do what you do." Um, so yeah, I mean, I—I I, when you're surrounded by all that all that talent, you got to keep yourself in check and and uh, and make sure that. Um, You know, you you do the best job you can, but you know, working with Bonnie was—it drives you. You know, she's got Mm -hmm. such an amazing voice, and it it drives you like, "Whoa, shit, man, she sounds so killer." I got to make sure that I'm right there. You know, Mm -hmm. so for me, for me, it helps me. It just—it pushes me more. It doesn't—it doesn't frighten me. It pushes me more.
1: Yeah, that's you know, it's always interesting. You hear like a guitarist who might have played with Jeff Beck, or you know, you singing with Bonnie. I mean, sometimes you think don't they ever get starstruck you know like i mean bonnie right. tyler you know in the early 80s somebody growing up in that area that's like whoa you know that's that's kind of a a mystical thing you know, not even a, a real person but it's great i mean if one of the things i know is you 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 were high energy you know, on stage high energy off stage um does adrenaline ever maybe push you too far as a singer maybe you, you go at it a little too hard and have to kind of pull back um is that ever a problem
5: um yeah,
0: you know sometimes my 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 brain forgets that I'm 51 mm-hmm. and uh and and I think that I'm 21 mm-hmm. and uh you know start to climb a, a light truss and realize holy shit. I need it. to sing. I need that air to sing. Yeah. And yeah, you know uh yeah, I mean I'm I'm always pushing myself uh sometimes a little a little too much um but you know, I'm known for that energy. Right. Uh the Axel shows it's it's part of the show that I can literally take my shirt while it's on my body and squeeze it and you'll see the water just pour out mm. of my shirt. I'm that soaked. I give it that much. And um that's just me. I like doing that. I think that's part of 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 giving. Um to the song and giving to the Mm -hmm. live performance and giving to the people i it's like an athlete you know if they're gonna they're gonna run that 50 yard dash man they're gonna run it as hard as they Mm -hmm. freaking can so why should it be any different for me so i I try to maintain that as much as my body will allow but shit's starting to hurt man yeah (laughs) yeah
1: yeah, i can imagine (laughs) a little bit a little bit Johnny, I don't want to keep you any longer, but again, One Voice will be out December 7th on Frontiers, a fantastic Italian label. Um, That'll be available everywhere. I want to thank you. Uh, Just for the fans, is the um, Pledge Music Campaign still open if they want to make donations to Joe's? care
0: yes yes okay. you can it's limited to what the exclusives the gifts are because mm. we've sold everything but yeah you can still buy downloads and things like that yes it is awesome. still open until uh, just just short before the, the release I don't know the exact day but people just check out pledgemusic.com slash johnny and it's, it's all right there
1: fantastic well johnny I want to thank you so much and I wish all the best with the album and hopefully we'll see you at least some point in, in the United States somewhere on tour that would be fantastic
0: Me too, man. Thanks for everything. Thanks for your help and support, bro.
6: Iron Maiden Live. The Legacy of the Beast Tour 2019. Saturday, August 17th, PPG Paints Arena. Their biggest stage show, their greatest songs. Your chance to be there. On sale now. Buy tickets at LiveNation.com. Be there to experience the power of Iron Maiden Live
1: all right again december seventh, frontiers records one voice from johnny gioelli will be available so i invite you to check that out still a little bit of time to get in on the uh pledge music campaign if you search for johnny's name you can find that really easily uh it goes to a great cause for a young man dealing with paralysis i'm going to turn our attention now to robert barry who is a vocalist and guitarist did an album uh under the band name three just the number three it was uh with keith emerson and carl palmer Back in the 80's the, the album was called The Power of Three uh, Many of you may remember that For your Emerson uh, And uh, Palmer fans Well he started to work on a, uh, a Follow up with Keith Emerson And uh, Keith passed A few years ago uh, Sadly to suicide And uh Robert decided that you know to kind of honor that legacy and this fantastic music to carry on uh, to see the the album through to release. So the album is uh, three point two. Uh, it is available uh, now. It is available, and uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it for fans who were uh, fans of the band three. Uh, this is right there, and Keith Emerson, such an amazing musician, uh, and, and he talks in the interview Robert does about the you know the painstaking. Um, detail he put into reproducing the parts and using you know, using the writing of Keith but having to re-record the keyboard parts and stuff and the, the, the amount of work that went into that so I think you're going to find a very interesting interview so we're going to play you a little bit of that album then we're going to get into that interview with Robert Berry
6: No talking, no defense. It's here. The weight's become too much to bear. The burdens as we march through the trenches of this world. It all changed here today In a lonely room surrounded by A million reasons to stand tall But the last and final fall Is one no man can share All alone with his fears And I hold the love of who you are The passion your hands brought to my ears Music's what became a bond. A good man that we honor here. It all changed here today. Llegaste a un lugar que pocos llega. Con el poder de montañas en tu manos una apriende estrellas sobre la tierra It all changes here today you este lugar de descanso eterno In an instant it was clear You everything
1: pleasure to welcome to Iron City rocks we have Robert Barry on the line how you doing today Robert
7: I'm good John how are you doing
1: I'm doing fantastic uh, you have released um, kind of a follow-up of sorts uh, to the uh, the album from the band three this is 3.2 uh, that has come out in August obviously um, not quite the same lineup um, you have no if I'm not mistaken you've done almost all of if not all the work on this album. Um, in Keith. I have now, yeah. Yeah, uh, and can can you talk about uh, you know how you and Keith, uh, you know, sadly Keith passed. Um, it's been two years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, can you That's talk right. about you know what brought you guys back to the table to write? Um, you know, what was the inspiration to kind of do this again? Now it's been 30 years since the first album.
7: Yeah. What. Just to educate people on the first one, since mm-hmm. a lot of people, are they're not really aware of it, even though we had a top ten song, mm-hmm. band three was Keith Emerson, Carl Palmer, and myself trying to actually do something like Asia had done, sure. which is bridge that bridge that gap between the old progressive stuff and what Yes and yeah, in Asia everybody was kind of doing with uh, a new progressive style that had more song content in it. Sure. And like I said, we had a top ten record. It was very successful. The problem for us was that people criticized Keith heavily for playing songs. Well, they right. weren't all songs. We had some eight, nine-minute pieces, but they really criticized him. And there weren't that many, but the internet was not strong then, so people sent him letters. You had two or three guys send him letters saying, you're ruining your career. you be doing this. He took it to heart, um, and he didn't want to do his second album then. He thought that all his fans were against him because a few people wrote really strong letters. Right. Carl, on the other hand, didn't have that criticism because he had had Asia, which was already playing songs and very sure. successful. So, 27 years later, uh, Rock Beat Records puts out a three live in Boston from 27 years earlier.
3: Mm-hmm.
7: And Keith calls me up, he hears it, he got a copy in the mail, he was thrilled. He goes, oh my God, I just, I had no idea. People turned me away from it. We were such a good band. We, the way we were playing, it's the firing and the jamming. He was so excited and of course my dream for 27 years at that point had been to do a follow-up album because that was my greatest success right. I played with Sammy Hagar, I toured Ambrosia I did a lot of great things but never a top 10 record with anybody else so I said Keith what do you think about doing a follow-up and he said maybe, very calmly I think he's so excited so I said well let me check on the record company and see what I can make happen he goes great, you get back to me a record company in Italy, actually. It was a big company, Air Frontiers. Sure. They were all over it. It was a great budget, got complete artistic control, and we could take a whole year to do it if we wanted that. When I called Keith back, he was just amazed. He said, wow, you should be my manager. Let's do this. <laughs> so, I'm sitting outside at a restaurant. You just heard a car starting there. No, no problem. If I'm,
1: as long as you're well, still with, with us, that's, that's cool. <laughs> no problem. So that's
7: how it got back together. We started working.
1: Was there any talk of working with Carl at at that point, or was that just schedules not working out?
7: Carl is so busy and still is with his ELP legacy. Sure. Now, at this time, Keith and Greg Lake were still alive, but they weren't going to do anything else. They decided uh, we can't. ELP isn't working. It's just we're not gelling. They didn't get along all that well toward the end, and even earlier on when I was with them. So, Carl had this ELP legacy with two young guys, all guitars, no keyboards. He thought it was fresh and new and he wanted to stick to it. And then, of course, after Keith died, um, Carl's tomb dedication and Greg Lake died, Carl's total right. dedication was to the ELP legacy. So, sure. even at the point I decided I was going to try to finish it. Well, he wasn't in consideration Because he just, he's just too busy And I, I, I honor him for honoring his legacy, of course You know, mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic Sure But Keith and I actually wanted to get all the keyboards done Get the songs written, first of all Get all the keyboards and get the vocals on it And then call Simon Phillips Because I had done an ELP tribute album with him Right It was just amazing And we thought he'd be the guy Simon didn't even know this Because we never got to the point of calling him but Keith died three months into us working on it
1: Now how much uh, as far as you know the final product how much of Keith do we hear on the album?
7: Well it's a interesting puzzle I had about 20% of his playing already done Okay We had five songs written um, and I had all these digital files he had sent me of recorded keyboard parts that he had done at home high quality stuff and then he died of course and i wasn't going to finish it but about six months later i thought well i wonder if aaron emerson his son would play in it that would be a fitting tribute and a reason to to do it an honest reason to do it again right um i sent aaron aaron was excited about it but i sent him a really hard song the first song in the album was one by one and it starts with this tremendously hard keyboard sure. music, keyboard piano thing and when aaron heard it, he goes oh that's my dad's style I, I can't play that i don't play like him that's I right. said, well, nobody does, Aaron, but, you know, we could work it out through the two of us. He said, oh, I, I just can't play like him. You know? Right. So that was disappointing, but it got me interested in sort of got the spark ignited again. So I set about doing it. It took me a year to do it, and then, of course, I called Aaron and said, hey, you know, I decided to finish this up by myself. And he said, oh, you know, you're going to have to talk to the state board because my dad's estate is handled by this six-member board. I said... Really? I, I'm just going to put this out I mean, Keith and I were going to do it. He goes, Right. No, they control everything that's Keith Emerson. I went, Oh, boy. Okay. So I got a hold of them and they said, No, can't do it. And What? But this, this is his work. It's his. Yeah. They said, No, we don't want you to do it. So anyway, I, I went back and forth for a few months. What happened was they stalled and stalled and weren't completely. I finally just said, Look, I'm capable of playing this stuff. I had eight years of classical piano, two years of jazz. I'm no Keith Emerson. But I worked with him a lot. I know how he plays. I know what his style is. I can do this. And I won't even tell you what he and I wrote together, and I won't tell you what we've done, and you'll never know because I will make it so seamless you won't be able to tell. So I threatened him, basically. Right. You either let me put this album out, or I'm going re- to put it out anyway and not tell you, and you'll get no royalties from it because you yeah. won't know.
1: Yeah, you'll lose all the and mechanical, mechanical said, royalties.
7: That's right. So they got back to me and they said, Okay, we're going to let you do it but you can't use any of Keith's playing on it that he's already recorded. I said, what? He said, our decision is we want him remembered as a, a writer, a songwriter of, of music, not a performer. And I went, you're kidding me, right? This is the Keith Emerson, this the uh, Jimi Hendrix of the keyboards. Yeah. This guy threw the organ on his back, shoved nice in the keys, smoke coming out. He, he His fingers are like pistons of a motor. He was so strong. He played more with his left hand, which is usually the lesser hand in a keyboard player, than most keyboard players play with both hands, and you want him to remember as a composer? And I couldn't get him to budge, and they said, you replace what he did. Well, they didn't realize the depth of the recordings I had and all the separate tracks. And I have every keyboard that Keith would use on the album. I have the Moog. I have everything. Right. Because um, I started as a keyboard player. And of course, with Keith, I put little keyboards on tour and I got everything he had. Right. Know? So I set out, took me a year to do, to recreate exactly the nuances, the plane, the, the structure, everything. Where if you listen to it side by side, it's like taking a picture. There's a tree. You see the tree, right. you take a picture, you look at the picture. It's that same tree. And I didn't want to do it, but that was my choice. And really I was finishing this album for myself at this point Sure Um, I didn't really plan on releasing it I just wanted to get it done And then when the record company said This is fantastic, we've got to release it I thought, okay, how do I get the rights to do that So I went back and replaced all the parts You wouldn't be able to tell the difference Not that Mm. I'm Keith But I can sure copy what he already gave me And and use the sounds and everything and, And struggle and struggle on the fingering and the playing It was so difficult but I I like to say I'm capable so
1: I did it. Sure, and that's no easy task, you know, that is like trying to, you know, recreate, you know, the the master, but you have to wonder to what end, you know, was the estate fighting that? I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going to end up playing you know, sound-alike parts what is is that? It's for lawyers to worry
7: about. I still don't (laughs) get it, you know, Hmm. they honestly, you can't tell the difference they didn't know this, but I did this kind of work for Miramax Films and Paramount Films. I have a friend that's president of music there. And I would do sound effects on the Foo Fighters, like an old zombie song, a journey thing, whatever it was. Because when they put out movie trailers, they don't use the actual artists because it's too expensive. They to pay a guy like me to recreate it. I'm a master at recreating. They just didn't know that. Right. So when you hear the album, it might as well have been Keith. And it really was. I mean, I had so much of him to work right. from and I wrote and expanded from that that he sort of guided me through the whole thing anyway right. I, I, I don't know why they did it and it still breaks my heart but
1: no, it's, yeah, yeah it's better I than shelving with, so it. I it yeah I mean, can I ask well, um,
7: and I wasn't so sure about that because I had a lot of doubt when I got it done that I had done the right thing so you know, it was yeah. it going to be released I'm going oh boy you know I'm, I've spent a year in the dark basically doing this exactly the way we had planned our outline form our plane everything it's just exactly what we wanted it to be, and I had lost perspective at that point because right. I only filled in the blanks
1: for the plan. Right. Know? When you um, wrote the remaining songs, were you? I mean, do, how do you, you approach writing a song? You know, that's going to, to kind of fit the sound of the rest of the material. You know, you had you said you had five songs done already. Um, you know, you want to finish the album. I believe you ended up with eight tracks. Um, do you? try to keep how he would write in your head when you're writing, or you just kind of go be Robert and, and, you know, the end will be what it is?
7: That's that's a good question, because what... And, you know, I didn't really know how it came out of me, the way it came out of me, but then I thought, you know, in 1987 and 88, we rehearsed in the Is barn studio together, we rehearsed at e- Easy Hire Studios, we mm-hmm. recorded an album, we wrote all kinds of stuff together, he actually took a lot of my songs and arranged them for the album, where I saw what he did, and I played keyboards on stage with him, which I think I'm the only guy that ever played keyboards on a band with Keith Emerson, because he right. just doesn't need another guy. Right. But it worked out that way. And as I look back, what over the 27 years of where I have grown studio-wise and musician here wise and stuff, I look at what I learned from Keith, and I saw that, wow, you know, a lot of what we developed then stuck with me. And he was always creative. He always had an idea. He could glue anything together with anything else. With that Emerson style, which I understand his chord structure and, and, and how he does things, you know. Right. So I I spent, like I said, you know, a year in the dark at my studio because, you know, I have a huge monitor. You don't need lights on. I have a big studio with all the equipment and everything, the top end, everything. You don't need the lights on. Just a huge monitor for the Pro Tools lights up the room and... I would sit there and I would say, sort of have a conversation with Keith and myself, trying to take both sides. So, Keith, if, if I did this, what would you do? And I think, right. you know what he'd say? He'd say, well, we should do this. And I say, and if he said that, what would I say about it? I'm talking, oh, yeah, that's good. You know, or I'd right. say, you know, I was hoping that we'd get a little, because what I, I thought we were missing from uh, Keith for 10 years or so, even since three disappeared. Was the fiery plane that I knew he was still capable of. Right. So I would have been pushing him, and as a keyboard player too, I, I knew his style. I mean, I, he was one of my heroes when I started playing keyboards in a band, high school and college. You know, I knew what I was going to do to push him. So I kind of had that conversation where I pushed myself on his behalf. Right. It, it was a. It, I can't explain any better than that. It was a weird, very weird uh, situation for me because I felt like he was right there with me when I listen to the album still some of the solos on there that I played are so unlike me and more like what Keith would have done and it wasn't like I struggled with those they just kind of poured out of me I I hit them with reckless abandonment kind of and yeah. then I would fix a couple of mistakes Yeah. Yeah, they were it was just meant to be, I guess one. Yeah, it,
1: it does sound, you know, some of it is, is You know, you were a bit of a conduit um, The song The Rules of Change I know this was, it was pretty aggressive um, In some of the solo section Was that one that you did on your I mean, As far as writing, was, were you both involved yeah. In that song? Or?
7: Oh, and and I'll, I'll tell you That's one of the last ones I wrote I had mm-hmm. another friend in a band Called Magellan, Trent Gardner Who was a mm-hmm. genius writer uh, Keyboard player saw it as a rock guy who uh, left this world a few months after Keith, the exact same way, and it really just it, it changed everything. I'm thinking it's hard enough to leave, lose Keith that way, but then right. Trent too, right? In the same year. Um, so I, I wrote that song out of that, and uh, some of the the parts a little uh, more aggressive, were really sure. to honor Trent and his memory. He was a very good friend of mine, and uh, I thought. Wouldn't it be great if he was sort of represented on this album that I'm really dealing out of the love I had for Keith and our friendship, right? And put Trent in there, even though you know people don't really know about that, and it, it, no one's really um, asked me that. I've done hundreds of interviews. You're the first guy that has picked up that that's a little more aggressive. That's very cool that you. Uh, yeah, I, I, that
1: you when I that. first heard it, it almost to me felt like it was it was. And I don't. This is not a, a knock or, or, but it felt like it was almost yeah. delving into um, like a Deep Purple sort of solo. In a couple of spots, you know, a John Lord sort of thing, you know, it's like, that's really cool. Oh, and cool.
7: Keith and John Lord were good friends, you know. Yeah. Um, all those keyboard players worship Keith, too. They, they yeah. were. He was their number one keyboard player. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. I, I will also say that people said, are you going to do another 3.3 album?
3: Mm-hmm. And
7: this is the only chance I have to do my last effort and Keith's last effort together. Right. Um, and I was always hoping to do what I call my Sergeant Peppers, where I did just the best of what I've learned and right. the best of what I've learned from the people I've worked with. So sure, I don't really see another, like a 3.3, this is a one-time thing, it only happened right. once, but I do have a harder edge in some of my other music that the rules have change song represents a little more of that and I, I might be heading more that way. If I do another one, I'm having such great success with this one Right. And we're planning a, a big tour next year. That uh, I'm just so focused on it. I don't know if I can ever do another one. I'm, I'm so thrilled with the response and everything that yeah. I'm almost afraid to try to do anything
1: else. <laughs> is it? Is the it? Pressure is so great. <laughs> in the, the, and I don't, I don't want to, to to go down this path too much. But um, with no, the way yeah. Keith was lo- was lost to the world, is it sometimes hard for you to go back and listen to this now? I mean, you got the project done obviously you've got to talk about it and get the word out about it, but is it sometimes maybe personally a little bit painful to go back and listen to some of this or even the first three albums?
7: I will tell you that I mean everybody is so respectful to Keith's memory Mm. that guys like you that really seem to know what they're talking about I mean that a huge compliment because I talk to some people that kind of don't know Keith committed suicide. You don't want to say Mm. that. I respect that. I don't want to say it either, but you're being so respectful of him Mm. that I have to let your listeners hear that in case they don't know. Sure. And a couple of weeks after that, I wrote a song called Our Bond.
1: Oh, which is
7: on the album in a completed yeah. form, but I put it out on YouTube with the, all these pictures of Keith, just a piano and me. It was difficult for me to write, but I was seeing all this social media stuff of thousands of people that actually felt that Keith was somebody they knew, even if they didn't know him. Right. They were... Attached to him as a human being and him as a dedicated musician. I mean, we defined him as the greatest musician, greatest keyboard player ever, but he defined himself in music. He mm-hmm. worked hard at that. He didn't just take it for granted. He was always practicing, always come up to things. And I saw this dedication to, to the man, not just the music. And I thought, you know, I, I'm going to try to write a song here that represents everybody. And I called this Emerson Army and I put this out. Here's a song, the Emerson Army. Uh, as we band together and we bond together over the death of Keith Emerson. Uh, right. I, I hope this represents the way we're all
0: feeling. Mm-hmm.
7: And the response of that was so great that that one, when I listen to it, is really tough for me and it does bring tears to my eyes sometimes. And it, it's so inclusive of everybody that loved him and appreciated his music and... <laughs> Would hope that he would be on tour with this with me next year. You know, sure. it would have really been something. And of course, that was my dream. And uh, that it, it just ended. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. It is tough. Yeah. I, I Some of the lyrics. I look at the lyrics. I go, oh my God. I, how did I? How did I get there lyrically? And 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 how was I comfortable enough to let this come out to the public? So there are deep inner feelings. But again we had an outline form we had a lot of stuff recorded and written and my only goal was to complete that so I didn't sort of put parameters on myself like to protect my emotions or anything right. I was just doing it the way we said we were going to do it I letting it flow you know?
1: yeah I often wonder that when you hear you know, musicians who you know pour their heart and soul into a song for whatever reason. you know i've I've talked to musicians who have written albums of the passing of their mother and different things. yeah, and and you're in you're in a headspace when you write these songs. you're in a, in a headspace when you perform you know this song to record. But then eight months later, when you're on a stage in Munich or something, you still got to be. I can't imagine you being immune to the lyrics you're singing when you go back and do some of these songs, and I often wonder, you know, how hard is that, you know, because it's got to kind of tug at your heartstrings.
7: Um, You're you're totally right, you know. And sometimes I have a couple songs I wrote about my kids. One in particular, Mm -hmm. my daughter was having a a problem called "Make a Stand." Mm -hmm. I have one I wrote for my wife called "Living Proof." You know, about it's sort of like this letter, which was inspired by Keith's love for his grandkids and my love for Mm -hmm. my wife and my kids. You, you put these personal things out a lot of times I don't know exactly where they're coming from or how personal they are because sure. to write a great song you have to have a stream of consciousness where it just flows out of you a lot of the classic rock bands that are putting out albums that you go gee, they're doing what they used to do what they used to do was write however they felt or whatever was inspiring them right. or whatever was hurting them or something, now they're trying to write for a reason that doesn't right. work out, That's it's a nice sounding song, it could have a good chorus but it's not real, it's not true Right. Those songs just pour out of you in a subconscious kind of level where I look at them afterwards and go, wow, I, what, what was I thinking? Well, I
1: wasn't. I was just feeling, writing. You yeah, know? Feeling and writing. Is is yeah. it neat for you when someone comes to you and maybe takes a song, and this may not have, you know, the album's still pretty new, but uh, have you had that experience where someone comes to you and says, you know, this song that you wrote, whichever, you know, our bond or whatever, and they totally have a different meaning to the lyrics does that happen to you, or is that is that a neat feeling? If it did,
7: you know, I will say that with this album, I, I find that people. I didn't really do it as a tribute album. Mm-hmm. I and mean, that wasn't because I, I didn't have a a plan on the lyrics or stuff. Like I said, they just kind of came out of me. Sure. And when I first it got released, I was getting interviews and reviews. Mm-hmm. People saying, "What a tribute to Keith! What a tribute to Keith!" So I sort of had to revisit it. And then some are saying oh, I see how this song applies to this, and this song applies uh, like What You're Dreaming Now. That was actually a song that Keith and I wrote in 1988 that I didn't think was right for the album because it was too straight rock, and uh, I couldn't really figure out how to, you know, put the three stuff into it like I did now. Now I went, wow, how did I miss this? What a gem. And that song, What You're Dreaming Now, people take it as, okay, I'm, I'm past... Keith Emerson's death, death, and I right. I need to move forward, and I'm telling people do hey, you always have to move forward. What's funny, that's sort of part of my mantra for life, you know, what am I going to do tomorrow is what I always right. say. It, as a musician, you fail every day. You know, you write a song that maybe somebody you not like or a record company doesn't want to release, or your song doesn't get on the radio, or, you know, I, I talk to you and you interview me and you say, well, it's okay, yeah, you know, hmm. could have done better. We <laughs> go, oh, okay, and boy, that goes out on, on your podcast or your blog you're like oh boy you know, yeah. there's something like that that happens every day and once a year something great happens and it it the way it takes us the whole year and I always believe okay whatever happened today what am I going to do tomorrow that's really what that song is about but other people have read other things into it which I look at it and I go damn if I wasn't feeling that what they see in it when I wrote right. it it's really something it, the things that I don't know that I'm actually putting in a song that was what always surprises me yeah. they pick up on things that are usually true but uh, I try not to analyze what I write because you know you could be your own worst critic and that causes your yeah. writer blocks so I, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: I always find it neat when people take a song and then you know it, their meaning because you know they hear it at a certain point in their life they've got things going on in their lives when they hear it Oh yeah, you may have written a song that was you know about your wife, I might hear it and think, "Okay, this describes a relationship I'm having with somebody, you know, family member, whatever." And it becomes my song as well as your song, and I always find that fascinating. You know how you can you can hear a song and your meaning can be so different from the way the person wrote it, but it you know it's just as real. You know, and,
7: you know, I have this song of the album. There's this guy Ian in, in England who just grabbed onto the album. He's a friend of mine now. I didn't even know who he was before the album came out. He bought 30 copies to give friends. He loves the song "Powerful Man" because mm-hmm. he's a dad and mm-hmm. he's tried to inspire his kids. But his dad, I guess, was gone a lot. "Powerful Man" is more about, you know, Sammy Hagar's son Aaron and Keith Emerson's son Aaron and Greg Kidson's son right. Rye. How these guys worship their dads and all became musicians, but their dads were gone a lot. You yeah, know, they were on tour. They were in, in the in the newspapers, all this stuff, but they still inspired them. And they saw the power in their dad, and a dad could be an accountant for Apple, yeah. and the kid's gonna say, "Wow, look at this guy! Look what my dad does. These people all come to him for blah 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 blah." You know, that's what a powerful man is. But Ian saw himself in that song and saw his dad in it. And he bought 30 copies to give friends. You gotta hear this. It, it's really, it's such yeah. an honor to, to get into people's hearts. And you say, like you said, it's a, it's a place in time. Right. they're experiencing something that means something to them and Absolutely. Um, that's what our bond became to a lot of people with the death Keith, you know, they shared in that place and time and uh, it, that one still gets me, I, I get things all the time from people that say mm-hmm. I just I had to listen to that again and I'm crying and I go oh my god that, I mean, it's such a great compliment
1: yeah it's a beautiful work Um, not to be remiss as we we head into you know late October it's time to think about uh, your project The December People Um, I saw you had a couple uh, tour dates with uh, Gary Peel obviously everyone knows him from Boston and his time with Sammy Hagar yeah Um, can you talk a little bit about what you guys do for those who might be in the California area and get a chance to check out those shows
7: you know I am so proud of The December People there's a concept I had Oh, I forget when it was, 2002 or something. We put out the first album that I did for a company called Magna Carta. And they asked me to do a Christmas album. I said, I don't want to do a Christmas album. They go, everybody does Christmas albums. I said, I know. They, they play Christmas songs, like holiday songs. I don't want to do one. They said, We want you to do one. You've done all these things for us. We want a holiday album from you. You figure out how you're going to do it, where you're going to want to do it. I go, oh, Gee, hang up the phone thinking, What could I do? I had done this series, Mother Goose Rocks, and it was basically Britney Spears sings Wheels on the Bus kind of stuff. It sounded <laughs> like Britney Spears, and it was done the kid's song. I thought, right. what if I did December People, Carol the Bell's like, yes, um, we've heard the, the uh, Christmas Day, whatever, like Queen. Uh, right. So I thought, you know, I'm going to do one of these, and I did the yes one, and I, I did Oh, I did The Up, A stairway to Heaven, like, um, the night before christmas okay and i whittled and whittled away and they fit like a glove you can't believe it if you go to decemberpeople.com you'll see a, a video there that has little snippets of these songs when you hear the whole song you go how did you do that that's stairway to heaven and a little cashmere in the middle mm-hmm. but it's the night before christmas or what the journey don't stop believing like angel and Heard on high it sounds like the original song and it is Both things, I call it totally original, totally derivative, because it's the real holiday song chords, melody, and everything, and the real arrangement of Journey, sound, some of the riffs, the whole thing. It's morphed together. So, ten years later, I think you know that's a good idea. Even though I did it it out of pressure from them, I'm gonna do it again. I want to ask my friends if we could play for charity. Ask all the guys the best guys I knew, Gary Peel in Boston, fantastic guitar player, Sammy Hagar Years. He was with sure. David Louser, Sammy Hagar's drummer. I played with Sam for three years. Right when they were kicking out of Van Halen, I
3: mm-hmm.
7: got really close to David Lowser. I got that guy's a great drummer. I gotta get him and I called Dave Ned for the tubes. So the tubes are crazy act keyboard players to do all kinds of crazy stuff. I said, This guy can handle this gig and I was producing a guy Jack Foster who was sort of a jack of all trades with guitar and singing. He could play Frank Zappa, really weird stuff, or ZZ Top down in the, i home, right. you know. So, I asked him, I said, we're due for charity, what do you think? And they all said, we're in. So, we put it together and started touring. And what happened along the way, I had a manager that was trying to break it bigger, and he sent us to Michigan in the middle of winter, in December, and we realized that boy, you know, November, December, the reason that bands don't tour, the <laughs> weather's so bad from the Midwest to the East Coast, maybe we better stick to the West Coast for right now. Yeah. So yeah. that's why we're playing California.
4: Um, you
7: know, right now, I'm having to do all the book and everything myself if I can find a manager that understands what a great thing this is and how much good it can do. But say what we're doing here in Silicon Valley, I have a show at the Heritage, Campbell Heritage Theater, hundred percent of the ticket sales go to the homeless here. If we sell out, that's thirty thousand dollars. They can add to their efforts for the homeless. Sure. And that's what December People is all about. And awesome. uh, if someone picks it up and wants to put it across the country to do that, hopefully, you know, more works warm like Texas and California yeah. and Arizona, whatever that that would be great, but for right now we do it in California and it's a tremendous fun thing. And if you hear the music, you'll see, you'll see why I like it so much.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Unfortunately, yeah, they don't make too many uh, four-wheel drive tour buses, so it's, it's tough to get up this <laughs> oh, way, man. out this way oh, this time of rough. year. Yeah, we're all yeah.
7: excited. Three days in Michigan. Here we go. We go to Kansas City. or are playing in Kansas, and we're doing this for United Way, which we always do, and we love yeah. doing that. And that's hard enough in Kansas. In uh, Topeka, Kansas, the weather's bad. We're thinking, should we be doing this? Then they send us to Michigan. We're like, no, I don't think yep.
1: so. <laughs> yeah, maybe upper Minnesota, if you could really oh. get, get yourself a malicious booking agent.
3: Robert, yeah. I want right. to
1: thank you. I don't want to keep you too long, but um, the new album, The Rules of Change from 3.2, is available now. I know you can get it on Amazon, and you can visit your website uh, for information. It's sold
7: out by by noon, the first day of release in every country on Amazon. Amazon just got the second release of it last week so awesome. I was pretty thrilled about that
1: Awesome, well Robert I want to thank you so much for your time and, and hopefully we'll get to see you out here at some point in, in the western Pennsylvania area
7: Well I hope so, we're going to plan the tour for next uh, next year to go to all the major cities and I want to meet you in person I enjoyed talking to you
1: It's been a pleasure man
7: You
5: wanted the best, but well, you got the best The hottest band in the world Cheers! Yeah.
2: The road tour, one last kiss. Saturday, March thirtieth, PPG Paints Arena. Kiss on their final tour ever. Tickets starting at twenty nine fifty plus fees, and are on sale now at
5: LiveNation.com. History will be made.
1: All right, again, the rules have changed. Is the name of the album from three point two? I want to thank Robert Barry for coming on and. and Invite you to check that out, fans of Keith Emerson. I think you're really going to enjoy that. Also, a big thank you to Johnny Gioelli, uh, one voice out December 7th. And, again, Miles Kennedy at the top of the show. He's going to be in Pittsburgh on the 27th. And check out Year of the Tiger, a really cool concept album about his father. So I want to thank you so much for listening. You can find out more about us at ironcityrocks.com. You can visit us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube or all forward slash Iron City Rocks, or you can hit us up at IronCityRocks at gmail.com. Let us know what you like about the show, what you don't like, Guess you might be interested in, Guess you're tired of. Let us know. We'd love to hear from all of you. So until next time, we want to thank you for the time.